Prepare your heart to be moved by God through the preaching and teaching of His Word as delivered at Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Today I want to use my sermon title, Someone is Depending on You. Someone is depending on you. Someone is depending on you. Again, in this season, the Lord has put in my heart a few themes. As a pastor, I am trying to be very careful to give you what I call the stream of the spirit. It means the direction in which God is leading us and guiding us so you will understand the themes we're carrying in this season. Again, about don't come down, but uh, as we talk about it, I want you to understand that I'm not just looking for inspiration through this series. Um, an inspirational message comes to probably pick you up out of a place you're in and give you the motivation. That's good, but I'm looking more from ins- looking for more than inspiration. I believe God has had me to stay on this theme for a while because it's not just about inspiration, but it's about impact. I'm looking to hopefully teach and preach certain themes themes so they can become disciplines and application to your life. And so God has got me into a layered season where there are themes that I'm repeating that you may gravitate your life to this and that you may be able to repeat them and duplicate the fruit that comes from these principles. One of the things that I believe about the season we are in and what God is trying to push out of us is a theme of breakthrough and freedom. People are tied up in trauma and drama. Uh, Like never before has there been such a groaning and a grieving that has been global and magnified. Of course, people are always in general going through things, but because of where the world has been, uh, people's situations have also become triggers. The things that are happening in the world have triggered some people back onto substance abuse and triggered some of the horrors of childhood and triggered some of the horrors of what they've been through and when times like this there are triggers that sometimes happen in people's mind and soul that keeps them in remembrance of trauma and drama trauma excuse me is what you have experienced but drama is when you don't know how to escape what you experience. Drama is the fact of what you produce because of what you've been through. You don't know how to get out of what you've been through. You don't know how to get out of what you've been trapped in. You don't have to get, know how to get out of what you experience. That's the trauma. But, 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 but if you're not careful, a person who's been through traumatic experiences will also start producing dramatic experiences. If you're not careful, uh, you may not desire to be where you are but but unless you begin to learn principles on how to come out of what you've been in that situation will make you express yourself in ways that are not best for you or others it's a form of entrapment for this reason I need you to become skillful in this season skillful on how to comfort people skillful how to celebrate people skillful on how to encourage people skillful how to get into tight 
spaces skillful on how to get into messy situations and leave it better than it was before you got there now that's a skill come on there are people who call themselves handling problems but make the problem worse than it was because it takes skill to help somebody come out of what they're in come on you can have the will but will is not good enough to bring people out you gotta have skill will plus skill becomes a strategy that can help people overcome but will in itself is not good enough you can want somebody to come out and because you want to you feel like you need to be there to talk to them to push them but unless you skillful you'll make matters worse so God is not calling just for us to have a will we got to become skillful to help people navigate what they've been through what we learned in 1 Samuel 30 is that, uh, Sam, that David and his people have been raided. You can turn to 1 Samuel 30. I'll be there in a second. Uh, uh, it, they have been raided by Ziglag. Another, another form of raided is embarrassed, stripped. Stripped at Ziglag. And the Amalekites raided them, took all their children, their wives, their possessions, took their stuff. Nobody likes anybody taking their stuff. And nobody likes people touching their possessions. I mean, I may be the coolest, calmest guy, cheerful guy you have ever met. But if you mess with my stuff, you may meet something else. I love Jesus and I'll have to use him if you force me to even more than I plan to. If you mess with my stuff. If you mess with my wife, I might have to pray a little harder. If you mess with my children, I have to pray a little harder. If you, you mess with the things I work for, there's something happens to people when you mess with their stuff. And when you mess with their daily life, their function, and I'm like, wait, I don't like people to mess up my joy. I don't like people to mess with my peace, mess with my victory. Come on now. And I know some people say blood is thicker than water, but I know some Kim folks until they get delivered, they can't come over all the time. I know some Kim folks say, man, I love them now. I'm praying for them. I'm a good person. I try to build bridges, but I'm telling you, you can't come in my house and mess up my house. You can't come in my house and mess up my, my order. You can't come in there. No, 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 no. You can't come in. Not the place I sleep. Not the place I rest. Not the place I need to be able to unwind so I can be ready for the next day. You can't come. You can be on the outside making that noise, but when I step in my house, you can't bring that in my house. Oh, y'all see what I'm saying? David and his people feel that way. They get back and their stuff is gone. Their people are gone. Their, their wives, their children are gone. They begin to, uh, there's nothing to like uh, anguish when you feel like you've been robbed stolen something taken from me there's not no type of empty feeling they're, they're feeling so empty um, that they begin to uh, cry and weep and they go through uh, the process of grieving grieving loss they go through the process of grieving my daughter I was looking forward to her growing. I was looking forward to a honeymoon, whatever it is. And when you can't see tomorrow, uh, I mean, you, you don't understand what it's like when people can't see tomorrow. It's a, it's a big thing when somebody feels like they are up against the wall and they can't see tomorrow. These people feel that way and they begin to blame David because of the magnitude of loss and pain. And there are places in people's emotion when they have gone through so much loss and pain 
great pain. Uh, they are scattered in their emotions. They're not sure who's at fault, what's at fault. And sometimes they become erratic and start blaming everybody. So they start blaming David. He's the easiest one to blame because David is the leader. And so they begin to blame David. After they cried together, I want you to know that there are people that you can walk with, but if they don't get healed, you'll be crying with them. They'll be crying on your shoulder. But if they don't get healed, sooner or later, they'll turn against you. It's not because they're bad people. There's something about pain, if it's not healed, that it will start looking for an escape. And sometimes when it looks for an escape, it, pain, immaturely, Points to wrong people. Now, now they should have been blaming the Amalekites because David didn't steal their stuff. Uh, David didn't steal their stuff. I want you to see that in 1 Samuel 30. David didn't uh, uh, steal uh, their stuff. David didn't do it. He was with them. So when they came back to the camp, he cried with them. But the same people that he supported and cried, the same people turned against them. It's not that they're bad people. It was. It's, it's the emotional realm of life that if you don't understand everyone wants to escape the pressures they're in and sometimes when they're trying to escape they blame the wrong people so they blame David David and they want to stone David David in this situation which I begin to teach and I'm teaching here again for impact and for repetition that David takes the lead in a painful situation he says I got to do something about this situation but the first thing I got to do besides trying to change people, let me work on myself. He said, before I try to help them, let me get myself together. Really? The first step to leading others is called self-management. If you want to lead others, you got to first manage your time. If you want to lead others, you got to first manage your emotions. Oh, you can't come help rescue me out of my situation. And when you get there, we got to call you down and we got to get you under control. And you were there to help me. And people don't understand what done happened in this situation. And you done came here to help me. And now we got to calm you down. Wait a minute. Who do I need help here? Me or you? That's what happens if you don't understand. If you're going to help your child, I'm going to reach somebody today, I'm going to try. If you're going to help your child, you got to help yourself. If you're going to help your daughter, you got to make sure your emotions are in control. Because if you're still mad from something two years ago, you're not going to be able to help her today. If you're still mad about what somebody else did to you 20 years ago, you're not going to be sufficient to give him or her what you need. Many times we want to help somebody, but the first body we got to help is ourselves the first major point of a leader being a manager you got to have self-management you can't go to work and fuss at everybody else about being on time and you ain't never on time you can't you can't fuss at everybody else about turning in reports late and you just as late yourself you're gonna lose respect you're gonna lose respect people ain't gonna respect you why because you can hold them to things that you can't do yourself and so some of us got to become better leaders in order to help lead people out of what they're in sometimes we feel like that even though it's right let me explain this principle that falls apart even though something is true what makes things work ain't the fact that it's just true it's the fact that you have an example showing forth 
true things. Meaning what I'm saying is many times there are people who are not example, but they're saying the true things. And people don't do well with truth coming from examples that don't live it. People don't do well for that. People just, people say, get out of my way because if it's not working for you, how can you be an example that it should work for me? And people say, I'd rather deal with somebody who's learning how to do what you're saying versus somebody who's failing and never doing what you're saying, what they're saying. Come on. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, you could just feel like because I got the authority, I'm just going to tell people what to do, how to do it. But let me tell you something. You can have the authority and not the influence. You can have the authority and not the respect. Come on. You got the authority. But people in your home, people on your job, people that work for you respect you more when they see you do it first. When they see you hold your emotion together in the midst of the chaos, then they have an example that it can be done. But when you break down every time, when you cuss everybody out every time, when you flip the bird at every red light because somebody tried to cut you off, what you think gonna happen? Y'all ain't saying nothing. If you wanna see better, you gotta do better. I'm coming here this morning. You gotta first become a leader of what you want. David says the way I'm going to get control of this situation is I'm going to work on me first. I'm going to work on me first. I'm going to work on myself first. And David says I can't work on them right now. No, I can't work on them. They don't respect me. No, I can't work on them right now. Their emotions are so messed up. They don't want to hear from me anymore. Right now, they just, they mad at what, what happened. They mad that I convinced them to go fight. And maybe some of them didn't want to go. You know how it is. Maybe some of them didn't want to go. But David, with his influence, come on, we got to go to this battle. David, I really don't want to go today. But they went anyway because of David's influence. David says, look, the first thing I got to do, I got to get myself together. You want to turn something around, turn people around, help yourself first. When you get on the airplane, they tell you, should there be any trouble, any problems we want you to understand why you love your kids you got to put that mask that oxygen mask on you first come on that's what the flight attendant tells you on the plane should there something happen they tell you they teach you the first thing they teach you on that plane after they sit and getting ready to take off they teach you survival skills and how to make it and how to help somebody else the first step is to help yourself now I know many of us don't think about that because when we think about rescue we just think about everything we love but the first pause is to make sure you're helping yourself David encourages himself I'm doing just a review I'm gonna get to my next points here for those who are catching up with us this Sunday, this is just the review to the next part. David encourages himself in the Lord. He encourages himself to the point that it means he reminds himself of his calling and his prophecy. Let me just take you through the little beginnings of David's humble beginnings. David was a shepherd boy. Um, he was a shepherd and his dad was named Jesse. The king at that time was King Saul, but King Saul was very disobedient, didn't follow God. God decided that God, God decided that he was through with the leadership of King Saul and he needed another leader that will follow him. And so God told the prophet Samuel, he said, Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Go. I'm sending you to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem because I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel gets there. He calls Jesse out and all his sons. And as he gets going to anoint this next king, God warns Samuel. He says, do not consider his appearance. 
You get ready to pick somebody who's going to lead others. But don't you look at their appearance. Don't you look at his height. Because those who you're looking at his height, I've rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things people look at. He says, God, he said, I want you to know how I work and how I raise up people. I don't look at the things people look at. People look at our appearance. But God looks on the heart. He tells Samuel that if you're going to choose my next leader, don't just go for outward appearance. Don't just go for people who make things look good or look good themselves. Get somebody who got an inward quality. Get somebody who has a humility to them. Then JC said, here are all my children, my sons. And Samuel went forth with the horn of oil to pour it on the head of the one that should be the next king. After Samuel passed by, he went from one son to the next. And the oil never ran. The supernatural thing about this whole uh, choosing of the next king is the oil would run when you got to the right person. See, that's how you know you got the right people in the right place. Because when they get in the right place, things start working. Things start functioning. They got over the other sons and the oil wouldn't run through the horn. It wouldn't go. Samuel was confused that Jesse, are these all your sons? Because uh, the Lord hadn't chosen none of these. The oil is not flowing on them. He says, uh, do you have any more sons? Jesse said, yeah, I have a son. Where is he? He's tending sheep. Listen here, he's tending sheep. I want you to see some qualities of what it is it takes when God really wants to use you. I, I, I want to get you ready to help somebody else. Say, I got to get you ready to, to help somebody else. Yeah, yeah, because I want you to understand the quality. He says, I got somebody, I got a son, but I didn't bring him in. But he's out there tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So everybody is now waiting for this man, David, who's out there tending sheep. So he sent for him and brought him in, and he was glowing with health. It had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I wanted you to remind you of that. This David here that is encouraging himself is the same one that didn't know what his destiny would be. But God brought him out from keeping sheep and raised him up to be king. What I'm trying to say to some of us is before we can help somebody else, some of us need to revisit where we come from. Because sometimes why we can't help nobody else is because we're not being honest about where we come from. Too many of us get to a place and a stage of our lives where we try to make people feel we were born at this level. We were born understanding who we are. We were born understanding how to work money. We were born how to understand how to please God. And many of us forget where we come from. We forget how good God's been to us. And God is looking for people who don't forget where they've been. God is looking for people who while they're growing in new financial status, while you're starting your entrepreneurship business, won't you tell somebody that before you got to where you are right now, you had to work three jobs. Won't you tell somebody how hard it was before how easy it is now. Won't you tell them all the things you had to do to 
to make it to this season that you are in now. I need people to start telling their real testimonies. Come on. Come on. Tell you before you beat up and beat down and condemn that young lady who had a baby out of wedlock. I need you to go ahead and tell your testimony. I need you to go and tell what you've been through by how God brought you out of it. I need you to be honest and transparent. Come on. I've been calling for an honest church for years because we can't help nobody if we're not accustomed to my own testimony. See, one thing I refuse to run from is where I've been, where I grew up, who my daddy was, who my daddy wasn't, who my mama was, who my mama wasn't. Whatever that situation is, it's my story. And I'm not letting no devil take my story because when I look at the Bible, I see God can do good things with the ugly story. And we've allowed the enemy to take where we come from. But I need some people to say I ain't afraid of where I come from. I knew where I grew up on. Some of y'all don't know nothing about no canned cheese. Some of y'all don't know nothing about no government cheese. That's fine. But the ones that do, don't let nobody tell you that you ought to be embarrassed about where you come from. Some of y'all ain't never been evicted out of no home. That's good. I didn't want you to go through nothing, but I have. But you can't never tell me how God will bless you in spite of where you've been. See, what we've allowed, we've allowed the success of where we are today to make people think we've never been to the lows. But I need people to say, I'm here today by the grace of God. And the only way I made it through what I wa- where I was is God brought me through. I need people to say, I know what it is to raise children without a man being in the house. I know what it is. Come on, honey, because there's a woman who needs your story. That a, that her door ain't got to be swinging open in and out because somebody paying her bills. You got to tell them, I've learned to pray myself through it. I didn't come on, y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm trying to help somebody today. Before we condemn somebody, share your story. Oh, I wanted to let you know this is the same David who was forgotten by his own father. His father called all the other sons and did not call him. Ah, see, you need to tell somebody I once felt forgotten, but God got me over what I've been. This son, this, this, see, you, because I'm trying to see, you trying to understand this. I don't want you to think that David can lead these people out of something he ain't come out of himself. I don't want you to think that. See, David recovered from being forgotten. God blessed him so much that he basically says, my daddy forgot me, but I ain't got no hard feelings. I let that go because I had somewhere else to go. I let it go because God had a new place for me. I let it go because God had a new assignment for me. His dad doesn't even invite him to see if he's potentially one of the ones who's chosen. David remembers this and he remembers that God blessed him in spite of his pain. He remembers this and he encourages himself. He remembers that God promotes him and David becomes extremely thankful. He becomes so thankful that David goes into prayer. He grabs the ephod. He grabs the ephod. And he begins to pray. The other thing I have is a theme of prayer. In this season, I want everybody to learn how to pray themselves. I want to make sure that everybody I'm speaking to have their own prayer ministry. 
that you have the confidence, not that I won't pray with you, not that I won't agree with you. I'm not trying to relieve myself from loving you. I'm not trying to relieve, but I believe the greatest aspect of love is when you teach people. So it's one thing when you teach people, I can give you a fish and you can eat for a day. Or I can teach you how to fish and you can eat any day you want to eat. See, the greatest form of love is to teach somebody. To teach somebody how to live. To teach somebody how to overcome. And see, there are people who like to be needed. And people who like to be needed don't teach you anything. Why? Because they, they want to be needed every time you get stuck. They want to be needed. And see, that's a person that needs healing. That's a person. Now, I want to be respected. I want to be honored. But to feel, to feel needed uh, to that degree is a whole nother thing. Because if you're careful and you don't recognize who you are, you'll get overwhelmed with being needed. And then people can't even grow themselves. You know, parents start teaching uh, children that although I'm, I'm your parent and I got oversight on you, I'm not raising you to be needy every day. Or when does that lesson start? It don't start when they're five. It don't start when they're ten. It starts when that baby is two years old. One and a half. Somebody say two. It starts when they're one and a half years old. It means you went, the mother started teaching that, that child, you went from my breast, now you got your own bottle. I used to pick you up and feed you at my breast, but not anymore. Then I used to hold you and put the bottle in your mouth, but not anymore. Why? Because I don't watch you pick up the remote. I don't watch you pick up your rattle and throw it across the room. I don't watch you, and since you got enough strength to pick up your rattle when you upset and I'm trying to put you to bed, you know what? You also got strength to hold your own bottle. And you're going to learn that you are part of your own feeding. You're going to learn that. I'll put the milk in there for you. I'll mix it up and I'll stir it. But guess what? When I put it in your hand, little sir, little ma'am, your cute little self, you're going to learn how to hold your own bottle. You're going to learn that you are part of your own feeding process. And see, if you're not, be, if you don't become a teacher, you will handicap people. If you don't become a teacher, you allow people who have the strength to do things they can do their own self never do it and sometimes we become the fault of somebody else's weakness why because we refuse to allow them to use their own strength come on now when that child is about 25 pounds it's cute to have them on your hip it's cute to be picking them up and carrying them everywhere. Somebody said, not even 25 pounds. Huh? But time that baby start understand that the feet that I have work for them too. The feet that I use to carry them everywhere they go, they got feet too. And sooner or later, when they move from crawling and pulling themselves up on the end table, on the side of the couch, they gonna learn that just how I get around, they get around too. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna train you to walk. I'm gonna put you in a baby walker and we're gonna put you in the kitchen and we're going to let you go everywhere. We're going to let you move and we're going to let, yeah, you're going to practice learning how to walk. See, why? Because I got to teach you. I got to teach you that your feet work. I got to teach you. If not, if I don't become a teacher, I become an enabler. I'm trying to reach y'all today. If you don't start teaching people how to use their strength, teach people how to walk in their grace, teach people how to walk, you become an enabler. And there'll come a time where they're going to fault you for not showing up 
on time because you enabled them. You showed them they couldn't walk without you. You showed them they couldn't eat without you. And guess what? Life happens. You were somewhere doing something else and when you got in there they were fully mad and full of emotions and they blamed you why they didn't eat. Why? And the truth of the matter you are partly at fault because you hadn't trained them and taught them how to feed themselves. David says, I'm about to learn how to pray for myself. Give me this ephod, priest. I know you normally go before God on our behalf, but in this season, I want some of y'all to learn how to pray for yourself. I'm not saying I'm shutting off my phone. I'm not saying I'm not going to meet with you and talk with you. I'm not saying that. Don't get no subliminal messages. You know how it is. Some people think they get subliminal. People say, Pastor Todd, I meet with people. You know, people think they hear something. That you ain't hearing nothing. You hear just what I'm saying. You know, when people want to avoid responsibility, they start making up stuff. No, only thing you're hearing is that I love you and I believe you can pray yourself through. I believe that if you get in the face of God and put your plate down, turn off your TV like I turn off mine, come on and do what I, you can hear God for yourself. I believe that you get disciplined and get in the face of God. You'll know what God wants to do for your life. How you think I understand what I'm supposed to be doing for my life? I pray. Come on. And I'm just trying to get you to have the greatest experience of your life. When you start talking to God for yourself and God start talking to you, back to you. Come on. You can't make me doubt him because I know too much about him. You can't fool me. You can't trick me. I know what I heard God say. I heard him for myself. And, and David says, I'm going to learn how to pray in this season for myself. David learns how to travail and prevail. He learns how to get through his emotions to a point that his prayer becomes prophecy. The, the, well, the Bible says in 1 Samuel, he says, God says to him, as he prays, he said, God, will I overcome this truth? Will I overcome all? He says, you will pursue and without fail, you will recover all. That's what God tells David. He said, you're going to recover all. He hears God for himself. See, it's hard to encourage somebody who had never had an encounter with God. It's hard. It's hard keeping your car going with a battery that dies out every night. Sooner or later, you got to replace the battery in that car. Sooner or later, you got to, I don't mean, you can jump it on Monday, but if you got to jump it on Tuesday and then jump it on Wednesday, what, what happens on Thursday when you woke up a little bit late and, and, and it won't start again? Now you got to get started up and get it going and, you know, delayed yourself. No, no, no. How about change the battery out? How about get something that you can depend on and you ain't got to jump started every time? Come on. How about get something that works when you need it to work? Come on. Come on. How about not always tending to break broken stuff? Some of people's lives are just the makeup of nursing broken stuff. You can't go nowhere because you got to be there for broken stuff. You can't enjoy new scenery because you got to breathe. How about in this season we work on fixing broken stuff? How about in this season we work on healing damaged goods? How about this season we work on healing what happened in our childhood so we can move on? You're grown now. It's time to move on. You're, you're, 40, you're 30 now. You're trying to move on. You're your husband now. Come on. Wives get tired of, of, of the husband still going back to what happened when they're 15 she love you bro she on your side but she ready for you to be over 15 you done got two babies y'all got car notes in the mortgage sir she wants you to be over I know you've been through it I know your 
daddy wasn't there, but you were daddy now. You were daddy now. Some way you got to get over what happened to you so you can be everything your life is calling you to be. Come on, we can't just sit around here and nurse broken things every day. Somewhere we got to get healed. Come on. Someday we got to recover. Someday, come on, I'm still working on you. I'm about to get to somebody else, but I got to work on you before we can get to somebody else. David says, look, I'm not going to be dealing with no broken stuff all my life. David said, give me this ephod. I'm about to know God in another way. I'm not going to let nobody tell me that because people rejected me that I got to walk around feeling abandoned all my life. I'm not about to know that this is an eternal place for my life. I'm not about to know it. I'm not about to know every bad word that they spoke over me that I got to live under that consciousness every day. I'm not about to do this. Give me a place of prayer where I can hear God. I feel something. Give me the place of prayer where God can correct my wrongs. Give me a place of prayer where God can fix me up in the spirit. Give me a place of prayer that I know who I am in spite of where I've been. Give me this place. They would say, I'm not about to lose and do, do this type of thing. And this prayer becomes a prophecy. And the prophecy becomes a strategy. That's why you can't afford not to pray because prayer will turn into prophecy. You get out of prayer, you know what God's going to do with you. And then that same prophecy that turned into prayer, and, and turned into, that same prayer that turned into prophecy turns into strategy. This is where we pick up on Verse 10. Follow me, verse 10. It said, but David pursued. God has told him he can recover all. So David began to pursue 400 men. 200 abode behind because they were so faint they could not go over to the brook of Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field. So now they're going to get their stuff back. At the time they're going to get their stuff back and they're trying to go figure out what an enemy is, the first thing they find is an Egyptian in the field. And they brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water. Now, I don't want you to look at this Egyptian just like it's anything. Many times as God gets us built up and we get ready to go get back our stuff, we got to be careful that we don't overlook resources that God put in front of us. The Egyptian as a person actually represents the place of Egypt is the place of bondage. So the Egyptian actually is a sinner. The Egyptians metaphorically, prophetically is a sinner. Because Egypt was the place that held the children of Israel in bondage. So as they're going to get their stuff, they find an Egyptian. Sometime when God's trying to bless our lives, we can't get the blessing because we overlook people. We don't understand that God loves people. And sometimes we toot up our nose and become prideful, arrogant on who we are, what we have become, how our lives are, how my children live. And we forget where we come from. I got my usher in the house today, y'all. Y'all give it up for those who know Sister Bridget Smith. She's in the house today. Come on, y'all. She helping me preach. She back doing what she always done. So the bridge of smell. They found this Egyptian in the field. They brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and he made him drink. Let me teach a little bit. Let me teach a little bit. When God goes to recover you, recover your life, I want you to notice how restrained the men of David are. Sometime when you lost something and you're going to get your stuff, 
You so mad about what you've been through, you swinging everywhere. You ain't got no targets. You anything that look like your devil, you look like the enemy that came. You can't, you can't mistake, you can't determine a blessing from a cursing. You so angry, you so bitter. I want you to notice the composure the men have. They don't see the Egyptian immediately just start shooting them and killing them. They, they look at him, they say, well, he's an Egyptian. And as they talk to him, they see that he's weak. They give him bread, he eat it. They gave him some water. They gave him a piece, verse 12. They gave him a piece of cake of figs. Two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again. So he's weak. They feed him. He comes back to life. I want you to show you, show you what evangelism is like. I want you to show you what it's like. Somebody laying for dead. Dropped for dead. An Egyptian laying there for dead. But when people are under composure. See, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who you're talking to. One of the principles I'll teach my, my team and my staff working in dispersion for years, is you don't know who you're talking to when you're talking to program officers and divisions. You don't know who you're talking to. You may be talking to your next boss. You may be talking to a person going to give you, you don't know who you're talking to. That's why you got to treat everybody with respect. Because you don't know who you're talking to. They were talking to this Egyptian and they didn't treat him uh, carelessly. They said, man, we don't know what's going on with him, but they brought him back to David. They said, David, we fed him. I want y'all to see this. Come on. I'm, I'm so excited. His spirit came again, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? Where you come from? Who are you? Come on, talk to me now. We don't fed you, talk. We're trying to get our stuff. We need to know are you a resource or are you the enemy? We don't fed you now. Because we need to know who you are. We can't overlook who you are. We treat it with your respect. But things about to turn in a little bit when we find out who you are. <laughs> he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to the Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. Wait a minute. He gives his resume. I'm a young man from Egypt. But I was basically captured by the Amalekites. He says, I want you to know I'm in bondage. You just walked up on somebody in bondage. But three days ago, my story is three days ago, I got sick. And when I got sick, my master left me. I was good for my master when I had strength. I was good for him. I built them houses. I built them roads. I was a slave. I did just what he wanted me to do. How he wanted me to do it. But when I got sick, they dropped me off in the woods and left me for dead. I want you to understand this is evangelism. I want you to understand that this is what it's like when you walk up on somebody who needs God. The devil done treated them harshly. The devil done used them all up. And I don't know about you, the devil will use you all up. He'll have you on smoke, smoking crack cocaine, have people on meth. He'll use you up with sex and pornography. He'll use you up. You'll lose your family. You'll lose your life. Then after the devil use you up, he'll drop you off like he never needed you before. Like you never was good to him. I keep telling y'all why I don't serve the devil because after he used me, he slapped me. After he used me, he kicked me. After he used me, he stomped on my face. And I say, I got to get out of this relationship. I got to get out of here. I can't work for you.
you and you treat me like a dog. I can't work for you and you treat me like I ain't got no purpose. I had to get out of sin. I don't know about y'all. I had to get out of it because after I did it, he slapped me. After I did it, he kicked me and I had to decide I got to get out of this relationship. These Amalekites used this Egyptian while he was good. But the moment he needed strength, they didn't put him in a place of refuge. They didn't, he, was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was used goods. He wasn't no good to them. We got things to do. We ain't, who did he sick? Oh, you sick? Oh, we ain't got time for you. They dropped him off and left him for dead. I want you to understand that God is trying to make sure that we have a heart for people. Because sometimes after God builds us up, we toot our nose on other people. And we forget the church has forgotten the art of evangelism. We have forgotten where we've been. We've forgotten that we need to be encouraging somebody else. And this man here is sitting there in the midst of the wilderness dying. And David and his men are practicing evangelism. They feed him. He come back to life. They feed him. Let me say it like this. You don't know what somebody will be until you feed them. You don't know what this man could turn out to do until you give him a good environment. You don't know how this Egyptian left for dead. Some people, some people serve God with all vengeance because how the devil treated them. Can I tell you, I'm one of the ones. I'm one of the ones. I serve God so ferociously because me and the devil have a, we got to understand that he don't like me and I don't like him. He already understand it. He already know, he know how I am. I'm telling y'all, I'm just that way. I tell the devil, don't you touch my stuff. You touch my stuff, man, I'll put something on you. Don't you touch my stuff. Don't you touch my children. Don't you touch my wife. Don't you, t- don't you touch my stuff. You about to get your, about to get your, get your, I'm telling y'all, I just how I talk, y'all think I'm playing. I mean, bitch, don't you touch, you know I don't like you, take yourself, hallelujah, I want to talk like I talk, Lord have mercy, hallelujah, take your tail on down the street, and you about to get up from out, that's how I talk to the devil, don't come up in here, hallelujah, don't come up in here, there's one time in my life, I thought in the middle of the night, a demon came in my bedroom one time, I felt like in the middle of the night, a shadow was up in there, I jumped up, what, what, what's going on up here, huh, hey, bo, shantala, my son, the blood, you ain't gonna interrupt my sleep. Get out of my house. You ain't got no authority in my home. Get out of here. I don't care you come out visiting, trying to see what's going on. Get out of my room. I don't play. I turned on every light. I took out my holy oil. Y'all, some of y'all don't believe in the holy oil. I took out that, oh, that holy oil. I put the oil everywhere. The blood. The word of God. You ain't coming in my house. Get out of here. See, some of y'all never know how to wage a war. And the enemy come and take everything you got. You ain't gonna come up in here. I'm, I may seem nice, but I'm a little militant if you can't tell by now. I'm still nice. I'm a good pastor. I promise you, I'm real nice. But you mess with my stuff. This is evangelism. This is the heart for the loss. David begins to talk to the man. The man they said, talk back to me. Who you are away from? Follow me, verse 14. He says, we made an inv- invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belonged to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burned Ziglag with fire. What? With fire. What? What? So you were with the Amalekites when they came and burned Ziglag. Yeah. In other words, he says, listen to the evangelism. Listen to evangelism. I know how the devil works. I know where the devil is at. 
I know the, what the devil's strategy is. See, many times we can't win the loss because we ain't talking to nobody who's once in bondage. Because the people who once in bondage know what the devil do, know where the devil at. Come on, that's what I talk to people sometimes who've been delivered or somebody. They say, oh, Joe, that's so-and-so going over there. What, what's happening? Oh, man, that, no, no, that's so-and-so. They over there doing that. Well, that's what's going on. Yeah, man, how you know? Because I've been there, done that. Uh-huh. They know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. He began to tell you what it's looked like, what it is. He said, I could tell you all about what happened, and we burned Ziglag with fire. David says to him, keeping his composure. I'm trying to help some of y'all keep y'all composure. Some of y'all go off too easy. You can't even strategically pivot off nothing. You can't strategically pivot off nothing because your emotions are so full of bursting of anger, you can't move in no type of strategy. Listen to David. He's pivoting for a strategy. He finds his Egyptian. He feeds him. The Egyptian goes to talking. David said, listen. David said, hmm, hmm, is that so? David said to him, can't thou bring me down to this company? And he swear. And he said, swear unto me. First, first, David, swear unto me by God that thou will not kill me. Nor deliver me into the hands of my master. Matter of fact, I don't want to go back. Don't me bring me back to them. I ain't going back to them. They don't drop me off for dead. I ain't got time to do with nobody dropping me off for dead. Can I pause to say, why y'all still, why some people still connected to some people who don't treat you right? They don't treat you right. Ain't never treated you right. But you keep running back to them. Why are you still going back to something that's never been good for you? The, the Egyptians said, they dropped me for dead. I'm through with them. I'm not going back to nobody who didn't believe in me when I was going through, who didn't help do the best they could for me. They mean, what? I love myself. It's the Egyptian talking. He said, I love myself enough that please don't take me back to them. They treated me harshly. I, I figure out what my new life is about before I go back. So I'll figure out what my new life looked like without them. I hope y'all getting it. Mm. Don't deliver me to the hands of my master. I will bring thee down to this coming. He said, if you don't kill me, don't take me back to where I come from. I'm going to show you where they are. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, drinking and dancing. (laughs) Because all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. So now he basically tells them, we went up this way, there they go right there. There go the people who stole your stuff. The Egyptians said, there they go. David said, thank you. (laughs) David said, thank you. And David and his men, look at verse 17. David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. Tell somebody that's a long whooping. From the twilight even until the evening. That's a long whipper. That's a long, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a long whipper. No, you ain't going nowhere. I'm going to teach you to never touch my stuff again. Come on back over here. No, 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 we ain't done yet. Come on back. No, 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 we ain't finished. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all. I want you to see this recovery. Recovered all. That the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken them. David recovered all. I wanted you to see that with prayer, there comes prophecy. With prophecy, they become strategy. And I wanted you to see what, what God did as a result of prayer. As I prepare this church for evangelism, I want you to understand how important prayer for souls is. 
David began to pray about recovery. In the midst of praying for recovery and how to move forward and get his stuff back, God gives him an Egyptian. The Egyptian being fed by them, the Egyptian being nourished by them, becomes the important bridge of getting their stuff back. I'm done and I'm saying this. I want us as a church to begin to pray for the harvest. I want us to begin to pray for people whose lives have been taken over by the enemy. There are so many people strung out on drugs and what we think is some people are not gifted. Some of the greatest people are right now under pressure. Some of the greatest people right now, some of the, some of the greatest gifts right now are battling schizophrenia. Some of the greatest gifts right now are battling bipolar. Won't take medicine, won't do what they need to do. Some of the greatest gifts in the earth needs to be recovered. And we got to start praying. This is my focus today. That somebody else needs you. Somebody needs you. This Egyptian needed David. He has, David actually rescued him. Revived him. He, he had a new lease on life because somebody cared for him. Just don't take me back to where I come from. I want to insert that because many times we become so selfish in our prayers that all we can think about is what we got to recover. But we don't think about who needs to be recovered. In this season while we're praying, I want you to not just pray for yourself. I want you to start praying for the others. I want you to start praying for the harvest. I want you to start praying for somebody else's children. I want you to start praying for somebody else's kid. I want you to start praying for somebody else's husband. I want you to start praying for somebody else's boss and leader. I want us to start praying and being concerned about people who need a turnaround. This Egyptian needed a turnaround. It's time to start caring for somebody else. Somebody needs you. Sometimes we only pray, this is how selfish prayer can get, we only pray for ourselves. And when it's time to pray for somebody else, we can know where to be found. We only use prayer only as a means for our own personal gain. And I'm not saying I don't pray for my things. I do. But we got to have a broader scope of prayer. It's time to start praying for other people. The Bible tells us to pray for the harvest. Pray for laborers. It says pray for laborers. And I got to teach it. I got to make sure this church is ready for the harvest. Even as we've been in this pandemic and we have been not able and I feel like it's the wisdom of God for me and my leadership. I know other pastors doing different things. Some people are doing similar things. Although we're moving to phase one next week for those who took phase one training. I just feel like it was the wisdom of God. But even while the church is looking to come back together under one roof, God is looking to send us back out to win the world. We're sick of it, Lord, I'm look, I can't wait to get back into worship. I can't wait to get back into church. God, that's good. I thank God that you all have maintained a personal attitude, a personal interest to be corporately together. But one of the biggest things that God has ministered to me over this last year is on evangelism. We got to have a greater heart for souls. We got to have a greater heart to win the loss. We got to have a greater heart to win those who need a helping hand to strengthen them. To not forget them. Don't just get your life recovered and just move on with your life. I just found it, find it the way of God. That God would not allow them to recover all until they restored this Egyptian. That's evangelism. 
We don't get saved and now all that we save, now all we care for is ourselves. That's not what he called us to be. He told us to be a light to the world. He told us to pray for the harvest. And I got to make sure that we, got, we have concerns. You know, there's certain things Christians don't do because it ain't about them. And I'll be honest with you guys, when you really understand the call of the kingdom, you stop coming to church for yourself only. When you understand the calling of God, you stop coming to church for yourself only. You start also coming for your brother or your sister. And those who come only for themselves, I consider you to be an infancy stage. If you continue to come to church, worship only for yourself. You're either in a major storm, right, which is okay, or you're infant. But to be saved 20 years and still only come to church for yourself, you're missing the call. You're missing why God bring us together. He bring us together for each other. He bring us together to make an impact in this world. He bring us together. That's why we come together. So I don't always just come to church for myself. I come to church for another brother. I come to church for another sister. I come to church to be empowered that when I leave this place, I'm better helping minister to somebody else. And God wants me to make sure that this church is ready. God wants to make sure this church is ready. Even as the more as the community gets healthy and vaccinations are out there, the more that God's just telling me about pushing us back out the door. Coming up with evangelism events. Feeding the hungry, talking to the homeless. The more that things get better and better, the more we can easily, safely relate to the world and do things we need to do. That's where God is in this season. So don't come down. But somebody else needs us. Somebody else needs us. Past the street the other day, coming up Stone Road. And there's a young lady pointing at traffic. Seems like she was out of her mind. I passed by her and I said a prayer. I said, Lord, help her. That's somebody's mama. That's somebody's daughter. And I looked at her. She looked at me. And I prayed for her. I didn't just say, oh, she crazy. Look at that crazy lady. Look at all. I pray for an earnest prayer. Will you stand on your feet, those in the sanctuary, those at home? I want to pray today. I hope you got the intertwining messages today I've given you. I first had to pay some love to you. Because until you get yourself fully together or better together, it's going to be hard for you to help somebody else. David and his men were ready for the Egyptian. Why? Because they took advantage of self-management, self-deliverance, self-recovery. Some of you know you need to be able to help somebody else, but guess what? You're in a place that you know, Pastor Joe, I need to focus on myself right now. And that's a good place. That's a good place. If you recognize that you got too much going on to help somebody else, that is good. That self-awareness will do you good. You know what it does? It also keeps you from overperforming. It keeps you from overperforming. Meaning trying to make people think you're further than you are right now. That self-awareness lets people know this is where I am. I can't do that right now. I can't be there right now. I want to. My heart is there. But I can't do it. I got to get myself together. Somebody I'm talking to, you are at the first stage. But can I say, 
it is so important to get yourself together because someone else is depending on you can you put greater emphasis because this is so important so important some of us don't have that work ethic to take care of ourselves because we're selfish still and we only think it's about us so what I mean by that we drag our feet to change we drag our feet to go to counseling we drag our feet it's not just about you you must get yourself together for your family you must get yourself together for your future your, your community some of us drag our feet and get selfish and stubborn won't get the help we need why because you're becoming selfish but when you recognize God has put you here as a gift a gift to humanity and you gotta take care of yourself number one for yourself but number two for others and some of you have been dragging your feet on what you need to do for yourself and today I hope I'm encouraging you to get out of being in denial being stubborn do what you need to do for yourself get into counseling get the support you need be honest with yourself get the strength that you need so you can be helping somebody else let's pray together corporately father i thank you today for your word you're teaching us not to come down don't come down because someone needs us someone needs our help someone needs our support and father i first pray for those who need to uh, self-evaluate help themselves be honest with people i just feel so strong i'm praying and talking i feel so strong about real honesty real honesty about where you are what hurts you what affects you what you've been thinking what you've been feeling I feel real important about real honesty today that some of y'all need to be real honest with yourself real honest about your feelings so you can get the help that you need you know I said it before and I said it again if you make people think you're somewhere you're not they're gonna treat you just like how you act and then you're gonna go somewhere and be mad say nobody called me nobody did this they don't know what I was going through well when I asked you the other day how you were doing you said blessed and highly favor blessed and highly favor you shook your head did all those type of things I thought you were fine now I have been feeling some way about you I have been praying for you and I asked you how are you and you told me blessed and highly favor I said okay Lord it's just me but if you just say, you know what? If I could be honest with you, I'm really feeling this way. Some of you need to be honest. So you can get the support and help you need. Help you need. You know, I've had, I even had people, you know, blame me sometimes as a pastor. I talked to them on the phone. The next thing you know, I called them and said, hey, know that was going on. Well, I thought you was going to pick it up. While I was talking, no, I ain't picking up nothing. I'm on the phone with you. You talk to me. Want me to pick up everything? No, 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 no. Pastor, I was on the phone. I thought, no, 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 I'm not going to pick up nothing. I thought you, God was going to tell you. God didn't tell me nothing. You tell me. You know, too. God ain't the only person who know. God ain't the only person. You know, too. Talk to me. I called you back. What? I didn't know, brother. Ain't no sister. Yeah. Yeah, you remember that day you called me? <laughs> Can I encourage you to be honest today? Especially when there's good help around you.
God didn't even allow the Egyptian. God got me working on something today. God didn't even allow the Egyptian to say help not available. Yes, somebody left him for dead. Yes, somebody abandoned me. Yes, somebody left him in the woods. Yes, somebody didn't know his destiny. But God in his mercy and his goodness don't even allow the Egyptian to say it. He sends David and his men by there to pick him up and lift him out of his situation. I'm loving on you today. I'm pulling you to a place of self-awareness. I'm praying for you. I want you to get all the help you need in this season. I want you to get rescued from all the trauma and drama you've been through. I want you to get free from all the abandonment and rejection you've been through. Why? Because someone needs your gift. I want you to know how important you are to me. I want you to know you, you are to your family. I want you to know how important you are to this world. Oh yeah, somebody told you, oh we can live without you. But here I am telling you, we don't want to do life without you. We don't want to do life without you. We want you restored. We want you to have hope. Will you clap your hands and pray today? Come on, clap your hands and let's praise him today right there. I'm praying for those who need to accept Jesus as a personal Savior, Lord. If you're listening to me, you say, Pastor, I'm one of the ones I need to accept the Lord Jesus. I want you to first repeat after me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come on, even at your home, if you're there, you're repenting, you're coming to Christ today. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you love me. You gave Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for my sins. His blood was shed on Calvary. I ask that you forgive me, wash me, and renew me. Forgive me of all my sins. I accept Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord. If you did that by faith, you are now saved. I want you to go ahead and text 84576. Come on, clap those hands and praise him. Come on, you've done that today. You've accepted the Lord Jesus. I want you to go ahead and text 84576 is the number. And put one word in there, born again, born again. Text is at 84576, born again, born again. It means you've given your life to Christ. Put born again. Our staff, our, our services, our team will get with you. Born again, 84576. We hope you've been blessed by this fresh word from Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Pastor Joseph Davis and the congregation invite you to join them. You can find more information by following them on social media. Just look up Truth Gatherers Dream Center Church. And we pray that God will bless you richly and abundantly in the coming days, knowing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him.